If you uh, have your Bibles, please turn to Romans 12. And we're going to be looking at verse 13 this week. Our text is short, but there's a lot here. It's a weighty text for the people of God. And it says this, Romans 12, 13, Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, I want to ask a question. What image comes to mind when I say the word hospitality? When I say the word hospitality, what image fills your mind? Does your mind fill with the thoughts of a well-presented home, an immaculate, clean living space free of, free of anything that doesn't please the eye? Maybe for parents, you're, you're thinking of a house free of toys on the floor or crumbs. Like I have a, this week I've had a big problem with crumbs, like they're really bothering me. <laughs> but maybe it's a house free of crumbs and maybe it's free of chipped paint from all the toys that have been thrown against the walls over the years. In your mind, do you see an immaculately presented four-course meal? with an exquisite and pristine table with a lavish centerpiece to go along with it? Can you smell the fragrance of your favorite food? Can you smell the scent of, of the flowers at the center of the table that fill the entire room? Can you taste that, that perfectly braised pork? Can you taste the scrumptious wines, both white and red, because we're not holding back here, and the delicate dessert to follow. When we think of hospitality, most of us think of a perfect evening with our friends and family musing over our dreams and our goals and our plans and our passions and a place where everyone is unified, everything is in its proper place, perfectly executed and exceptional. This is what most of us would love to have but often, hospitality is not as well-groomed as we wish it would be. Arrayed against all of us is, is really a legion of, of obstacles. We're busy with work schedules and school, discipling our children, spending time in prayer and personal devotions to God, and, and finding just that small window of time to connect in a meaningful way with our spouses. Not only that, but there's also the exhaustion and the frustration and the weariness of simply living in a sinful and fallen world. I mean, being a sinner brings its own problems, doesn't it? The odds are very much stacked against us, yet God has called us to display hospitality towards one another and towards a watching world that does not know him. We might ask the question, how is this possible in the midst of our current culture? Well, I'd, I'd really just like to spend my time today illustrating one big idea. There'll be smaller ideas, but if you take anything home, take this. Hospitality is a reflection of Christ and the gospel. Hospitality is a reflection of Christ and the gospel. Let's read the mark of hospitality. We say this. Disciples of Christ at Convergent Church 
should seek to be marked by hospitality towards God's people and those who do not yet trust in the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Now, when I say the word hospitality, many of us might think of different things. So, so let's define the term here and ask the question, what is hospitality? Well, hospitality is a pretty broad term, but we can really loosely define it as the generous act of welcoming others into your home and sharing what you have. The generous act of welcoming others into your home and sharing what you have, especially strangers and outsiders. But the concept of hospitality can be broadened much further. It's not necessarily a, a narrow definition. When we think about the person who's our greatest example of hospitality, Jesus. Jesus was an incredibly hospitable man, and yet Jesus never owned a home. He never had a condo to invite his friends. He never had a savings account or a pocketbook from which to draw. And so we cannot simply define it as bringing people into our homes. We must also define it as this way, the lavish act of self-giving. The lavish act of self-giving. Now, before we begin to believe that the concept of, of, of biblical hospitality is something that God wants us to try and kind of squeeze into the midst of our busy schedules in between the mass of other important things, let's acknowledge that hospitality is commanded in God's word. It is a command of God. It's not merely a suggestion. It's not merely a good idea. This is something that God commands of us. And it's not simply for the outgoing, the organized, and the affluent among us. Jesus was incredibly intentional with his time and his words, and he managed to find time to practice hospitality. My friends, hospitality is expected of every single Christian. And it finds its root in the Old Testament command in Leviticus 19.34 that says this, you shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Hospitality is a command that is expected of every single disciple of Christ. And we notice today that in Paul's letter to the Romans, God, or Paul reissues that command to the Roman church to contribute to the needs of the saints and to seek to show hospitality. Peter would also write this in his letter to the church. He would say in 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's always fun, isn't it? When God says do it without grumbling, that's always great. And, and, and I also want to remind my own soul, and anyone who would consider being you know, in leadership at Convergent Church, and certainly anyone who would consider being a pastor or an elder or even a deacon at Convergent Church, that hospitality is actually among one of the qualifications to be an elder, a pastor, a shepherd of the flock. God requires it in the leaders of his people, both in Paul's letter to Timothy and in his letter to Titus. And it is among the highest character traits one can reflect as a Christian leader. 
Now, some of you hear those things, that it's commanded, that it is a qualification for leadership, that it's, that it's not, you know, just something that we could squeeze in and you go, man, that, that kind of sucks. Like, like, that's not fun when something is commanded of us. That can, that can leave at times a very sour taste in our mouth. It's, it's almost like when, when the disciples or Jesus preach on fasting, right? And they command us to fast, command us to actually not eat. And you're like, man, how is not eating good for me? <laughs> how is skipping a meal actually good for me? You're telling me going hungry is good for me? You're telling me lavishly giving what I own is good for me? Well, I want to look at the words of the Apostle John to the church. He said this in 1 John 5, 2 through 3. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and obey his commandments, for this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And here's the point. His commandments are not burdensome. His commandments to the church are not burdensome. God has given us this command to practice hospitality because in his heart, he wants us to receive something in the church, not to lose something or to lose privilege. God's heart is for us to receive something through practicing hospitality. And this command to show hospitality, he's not taking away blessings, but is inviting us into privilege. And the privilege is that of being known in the church. Being known in the church. And here's our first point. Hospitality sows gospel transparency. Now, I don't think that it's a, 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 any secret that Convergent Church, one of our big values is gospel transparency, being known by the people around you. And the act of opening our homes and our tables and, and our cupboards up to one another provides each of us the opportunity to come to know one another as we truly are. It gives us a glimpse into who we are truly in fellowship with. We are invited into life together to witness the good, the bad, and the ugly of one another's lives. Anybody else feeling a little bit uncomfortable? Kind of. Now, if I were to push on the nerve of what prevents us from often showing biblical hospitality, this lavish self-giving that, that Jesus displays, I doubt that for most of us it would be issues like this. I don't have enough money to prepare a meal, or that we don't have enough time to entertain others. It's not that our homes aren't grand enough or that our children are not well behaved enough, but that biblical hospitality requires of me that I make myself known to you, that I invite you into my home and into my life to see who Jameson really is. Now, if you spend even just a little bit of quality time with me, you'll come to realize that I preach a lot better than I practice and that I recite scripture a lot better than I obey it. I preach way better than I practice, which isn't good, which should say something. But, and I recite scripture better than I obey it. I may be able 
to keep on sort of the facade that I'm self-controlled and dignified when I walk through the doors on Sunday morning, but when it's 11 p.m. and my child has come downstairs for the 15th time and he's peed the bed and he spilled his water and he wants a snack and somehow they put a hole in the drywall, you will see a different side of your pastor. You will absolutely see a different side of who I am. Because my home is where I'm most comfortable being who I truly am. It's where you will encounter me at my best and you will encounter me at my worst. It's where I do my most grievous and terrible sinning, but it's also where I pour out my most heartfelt and honest worship to God. And the reality is you do not know me and I believe the way God wants us to know one another until you've encountered me in my home, where I feel safe to be who I am. And the level to which we actually practice hospitality, being with one another, inviting one another into life together, into our homes, shows what we truly value as disciples of Jesus. If we abstain from this regular practice of showing hospitality, it reveals that perhaps we prize privacy or privilege or position more than we actually value one another, more than we actually value God's people. If I'm opposed to opening my home to one another, to opening my life up to you, it reveals ultimately that I have something to hide from you, that I do not want you to see me as I am. Now, that might be issues with me. It might be sins. It might be my character. It might be my attitude. It might be how I feel about my possessions, what I own. It might be the state of my home. I might not feel that I live up to someone else's standard. It might be how I spend my time. It might be my hobbies. It could be a whole list of things that I want to hide but it does reveal that I'm not comfortable letting you glimpse who your pastor truly is. That's the heart of the issue. That we fail in our desire to want to be known by one another. But I don't want to think that an unwillingness to stand hospitality to one another is our only obstacle in the church. The church also has another enemy that creates a bulwark, an obstacle against the church experiencing and extending this true biblical hospitality, and it's actually the opposite. It's the inability to receive hospitality from one another. Now, I know many, many Christians like this, Christians that believe that accepting help or blessings from others somehow makes them less strong. Somehow makes them less Christian, less stable, less independent, too dependent on the goodwill of those around them. But let's think about the life of Jesus. Jesus had no home. Jesus had no pocketbook. He was perfectly holy, all wise, all powerful, he never needed anything from any person. And yet Jesus himself accepted the hospitality of thieves, tax collectors, prostitutes, 
and Pharisees. The God who needed absolutely nothing accepted hospitality from those around him. And yet some of us have a hard time accepting the blessings of hands made clean by the blood of Jesus. We have a hard time accepting help from one another. And I have a question, it's this. Are we greater than Christ that we should deny the help of our brothers and sisters? Are we greater than Christ that we should deny the help of our brothers and sisters? Jesus said that it's enough for the disciples, us, to be like the master, him. And are we greater than Jesus that we would turn away hands made righteous and full of good intentions when Christ did not deny the hospitality of the vilest of sinners? Are we holier than Christ? Are we not in deeper need of help and assurance and comfort than he ever was? Psalm 121, 1 through 2 says this, I lift my eyes up to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And I want to posit to you an idea, an idea that truly the help that moves through the hands and the heart and the actions and the blessings of those who would seek our good will is not the kindness and the love and the hospitality that they show to us ultimately coming from God? Does it not find its origin and root in Him? Isn't it His help that we shun? Isn't it Him who is trying to bless us? And what is the refusal to give hospitality? And refusal to accept hospitality, my friends, it's nothing more than pride. It's nothing more than pride saying either I'm too good to give or I'm too good to receive. Or I'm too ashamed to give or I'm too ashamed to receive. In either case, it reveals that our mind is set on us and how we are viewed by others as opposed to a mindset on others and how God truly views us. The giving and receiving of biblical hospitality reveals to us in real time a picture of who we are and the state of our hearts. And as it sows gospel transparency in the church, it also waters something incredibly important. It creates a strange miracle as we come together and we sit around tables and we share meals and we talk about our life and we get really uncomfortable with one another and we see each other as we truly are. Hospitality waters Christian growth. It sows gospel hospitality that we might be known, but it also waters our growing in Christ. And it grows us in two ways. It grows us deep and it grows us wide. Let's talk about how it grows us deep. Inviting people into our homes allows you to place yourself in a position of testing and refining by God. It sets the stage for God to work in your life to bring what you know about God, which is our theology, right? The study of God, what we know in our minds about God, into a right doxology, a right worship or practice in the things of God. 
Hospitality fosters Christian growth even as it plunges us into the fires of testing and allows us to see and ask questions like, do I really act the way God wants me to act when I do the things he says I should do? Am I patient when someone's child spills food all over my new curtains? Am I generous, charitable in conversation when someone else's comment could be taken the wrong way as an offense? Am I able to listen to the pains and sorrows of my brothers and sisters as they reveal to me what's truly going on in their lives and seek to alleviate those sorrows through giving comfort and assurance? Am I willing to sacrifice an hour or two or three or five to make time, to make room for God's people and to go to bed satisfied with that? Even though I might regret the bags under my eyes the next morning as I get up for work. Am I seeking to contribute to the needs of the church? Physical, spiritual, emotional. Am I contributing to your needs through the giving of myself? Ladies, I know that recently you had an awesome night at Darlene's house, and I want you to think about this. What did that night do for your souls, you ladies who were there? Just being together, giving of your time and your hearts and listening to one another's stories and pains and issues. We grow deeper in the things of God, the true practice of what it means to be a Christian. But not only that, but we grow wide as a church. We grow deep. We become real with one another, but we grow wide as a church. We go wide with new believers because there is a wide expanse. There is a huge difference between inviting a friend who does not know Christ to a weekly Bible study and saying something like, did you know that my pastor's home is open for dinner every night? And you can just come show up. Now, I'm not, not advocating for programs like Bible studies and prayer nights and all those things. I believe they should be practiced, but as we practice hospitality, as we make room in our lives for one another, to, in, to be able to invite people, not simply into a church service, but to be able to invite people into the church. Do you understand what I'm saying? Not to invite people into programs, but to place ourselves into proximity with people who don't know Christ, that they might see what real Christians are like, both the good and the bad. Not what they see portrayed about us on media or social media. But if we open up our homes to one another and we bring our, our unsaved friends in, we're now inviting them to glimpse what the church is truly like to experience the church in all its glory and in all its mess, for them to come to understand that Christians are not perfect people, that we're not hypocrites like we're constantly portrayed as. We're not without sin. We're not without failure. But that we are redeemed people who have rallied around this one unifying thing, and that is we have a Savior who pours out grace on the vilest of sinners and has redeemed us. That is what our city needs to see. And that's what we need to be reminded of as we come together. 
So hospitality sows gospel transparency. It waters Christian growth by growing us deep in the things of God and, and wide as more people are added to the faith. But what it reaps as it sows and as it waters is a church that looks like Jesus. It reaps a church that reflects Christ and His gospel in tangible acts. Now, this ancient tradition of hospitality that was commanded of God's people was a lavish act. So much so that they would invite traveling strangers into their homes, into their tents, and would share portions of whatever they had with people they barely even knew. But it was, it was more than simply sharing a meal. It was more than simply inviting people into their homes. This command of hospitality was meant to display something to the world that had their eyes on God's people. It was meant to display God's saving grace and choosing the Israelite people out of all the people on the face of the earth. It was meant to display the kindness of God who had brought them out of slavery, into exile, and eventually into the promised land. It was meant to give a small picture of something bigger. It was meant to give a small picture of something bigger. Something bigger that God had done for his chosen people and to set their minds on what God was going to do for them. Hospitality shows us a small picture of something bigger. Church. Now as Christians, our hospitality points a very clear gospel picture. Has anybody ever heard the term actions speak louder than words? Right? As Christians, as a church, we can say a lot of things to one another and to the world. We can display a lot of messages. We can say a lot of things with our mouths, but what we do with our actual time, resources, and our hands speaks so much louder than the simple messages that we put out into our city. And our hospitality speaks three very clear messages. First, it says this. It says, I'm like you. Hospitality says, I'm like you. Sharing a meal around a table with strangers breaks down the walls of diversity within the church. And whether you're white or black or Latino or, or male or female or Republican or Democrat, whether you're affluent or poor, whether you're young and old, sitting down to fellowship over a meal shows others that we see them as we see ourselves. We sit down and we are above no one. It is treating strangers as part of God's community in such a way as that they feel there are no distinctions between us and them, but instead inviting them into a place of common need. It's saying we're alike. When we sit down to dine together and fellowship together, we are reminded of the things we have in common. Simply the common need to be sustained 
When we eat, what we're saying is, look, we're not infinite. We're all powerful. We don't have all of the power. We actually need to be sustained by God. When we come together, we're reminded of our common need for human interaction, that none of us were meant to live in isolation. When we come together, we're reminded of a common sin nature that needs to be redeemed as we offend and prick and maybe say things that are a little bit unsavory to one another. We are reminded of a shared experience of hurt and loss and disappointment and discontentment in our world as we share our stories of what we've gone through together. Mostly, we're reminded that we're all longing for something that can truly satisfy us forever. Hospitality says, I'm not above you. I'm like you. We are the same. But hospitality also says, you have my protection. You've come into my home. You have my protection. In this ancient Jewish tradition of lavish hospitality, to invite someone into your home meant to extend the same protection that you would your actual family. If you brought someone into your home or you brought someone into your tent, it meant not only that I saw this person as myself, but I was taking actual responsibility for their well-being. It meant that as long as they were in my care, in my home, I would leverage my power and resources to keep them safe and to keep them healthy, to help them feel the love of God and the reality of their own human dignity. And man, let me tell you guys, I've been such a receiver of hospitality from the church. I remember when I was first saved um, at Abba's house here in Owasso. It's a church that's they've closed down by now. I was actually saved in the Salvation Army Chapel the gospel was given to me by a man named David Knox, and man, David Knox had such a huge heart. He and his wife, Kathy, not only invited me over for dinner whenever I was hungry, but when I was in need, they offered a couch or a bed or in some seasons a whole room for me to live in when I had no home. I was never hungry. I was never cold. I was never without clothing. I was never alone. Their hospitality took ownership for me. And this was before I even became a Christian. Their hospitality took ownership for me, my well-being, my protection, not because I deserved it, but because they understood what it meant to be strangers. They understood what it meant to be without a home. They understood what it meant to live without the loving protection of God. They knew what life was like without God, and they wanted to be a picture of Christ and his gospel to a young man who was very broken. We have that same opportunity to bring people into our homes and to offer them the protection that Christ has placed on us. Lastly, hospitality says this, what belongs to me belongs to you. And let me tell you guys, I'm a selfish and greedy person. That's hard. To say what belongs to me belongs to you. This is perhaps the greatest message that hospitality shares with a watching world is that as redeemed sons and daughters of God, we regard people above things. We regard people above possessions. 
it shows that our resources are given to us to show God's grace and love to the world. Hospitality says what's mine is yours, and that we truly mean that. It shows them that we do not depend on things for life, but that we truly believe God is our maker and sustainer and will take care of us even as we give freely what we cannot easily replace. Man, all I can think about is David Knox. He gave me so much. Clothing, food, home, love. He gave me a car because I couldn't get to work. <laughs> what belongs to me belongs to you. And in these messages, we share God's lavish hospitality with the world. And not only do we share God's lavish hospitality, but we are image bearers of God's lavish hospitality. We show them what Jesus is really like. A Jesus who came in the world and said, look, I'm like you. A Jesus who took on human flesh, who came down into our messed up lives in situations, who felt our burdens, who, who, who dealt with our pains, who walked through our temptations and our sadness and our sorrows. And God became like us in order that he might redeem us from what we're going through. In his lavish love, Jesus died sinlessly on a cross that we might have eternal life with him and paid for the penalty of our sins. And through the Holy Spirit brings sinners who have trusted in his grace into the house of God. Do you see we now have God's protection? Jesus said, I'm like you. Jesus said, I will protect you. God treats us and views us and protects us just like a strong father who protects his vulnerable children. We've been brought into God's tent, and he has promised that because of Jesus, he will never send us back out again. Not only this, but Jesus has promised us that we will share in what he has. That we're not only children of God, that he is not only like us, not only do we have his loving protection, but as Paul says, we are now joint heirs, inheritors with Jesus of the things of God. We are now sons and daughters who inherit the kingdom of God. What belongs to Christ belongs to us. He's filled us with this promised Holy Spirit. My friends, God has done this. He's poured out on his friends and his children and his bride, his church, such lavish hospitality that he's called strangers who are once alienated from God, his friends. He's called us brothers. He's called us children. Rebel sons and daughters. Now. We have a home. We have a Savior who is like us. We have the loving protection of God. We have the inheritance of Christ. And now we have a great opportunity to show that to one another and to a world that is watching us. 
And I can't help but think about the table I thought about at the beginning of my sermon, this perfect, immaculate table, four-course meal, beautiful, nothing's wrong, the whole house is in unity, and there's nothing but love. And I want to remind us that the best is yet to come. Because one day, because of what Christ has done for us, one day in glory, we will sit around a banquet table just like that. We will sit around a table with Jesus. Jesus will bear his full glory. We will see him face to face. God will eat with us and he will lay out a spread like we've never dreamed of. There will be no sin. There will be no squabbling. There will be no pain. There'll be no lack. There'll be no fear. There will only be perfect unity. And the best thing will be this, the treasure of Christ will sit before us. And we will dance and we will sing and there will be no end to the celebrating. My friends, that is the table that we long for. Nothing will be perfect now. We look towards something bigger, even as we display something bigger to a watching world. When we open our homes and share a meal and sit around a table, we're saying this, brothers and sisters, friends, there is something greater coming. There is something greater coming because the greatest gift that is Jesus has already been given to us. And so today, as our world prepares for war, let us remember that heaven is now preparing for us a wedding feast, and that it is our job to display that to those who are watching. May our tables be open and our minds set on heaven and our hearts free to give away what we cannot take with us. Let's pray. Lord, we think on your lavish love. Lord, we think on how you have brought strangers into your family. We think on how you, Jesus, became like us. We think on how you brought us into the loving protection of God's family and have promised to share all things with us. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to walk with us and in the midst of our imperfect lives, Lord. That you would help us in some small way to show what you've done for us. To display for the world the truth of who you are, the greatness of the gift that you've given us. Lord, that we would be people with huge hearts and open hands, not set on collecting more for ourselves, but giving it away, that the world would see that you are a God who gives lavishly. Lord, help us to be that church today. We praise you and thank you for what you've done for us. In Jesus' name, amen.